Greetings, friends, and welcome to a special episode of A Night Adrift. My name is Vigil. Who can say where a tale truly begins? When, if ever, does it end? For a little girl named Aveline, she would likely have thought her life story finished upon the loss of all she held most dear. But we know better. We know the bravery to persist is not born, that it is forged of fear and will. But what we too often forget is that bravery is not always measured in amazing feats, but in the smallest of gestures and triumphs. And though the fire of fear ought never be smothered, a frightened young girl can learn to best fate and circumstance, to tame the flame and wield it in noble purpose against the ever-encroaching darkness. Come, little one, Lark grumbled as he climbed the last of the spiraling steps that led to the great knight's study. So familiar with the stairs he could count them asleep, the old man straightened his gray robes and stalked forward without breaking his stride. Heavy boot heels cracked like split wood in the stony tunnel. Behind him, Aveline mounted the final foot-worn cliff and huffed in exhaustion. Her seven-year-old legs trembled beneath her small frame. Her mess of dirty hazel hair dangled down before her bloodshot eyes. Only minutes before, she had been found crying again. And though it was two weeks since the incident, the pain had yet to diminish like everyone claimed it would. Aveline paused in silent distrust of the claustrophobic corridor atop the citadel, and hugged the small ashen coat kitten between her arms closer to her thundering heart. For his part, the feline yawned and stretched his thin limbs, oblivious to the physical and mental stress of his companion. Face sullen, eyes unfocused, Aveline stood as still as a statue and stared at the granite floor beneath her feet. What's all this? Be on your way, Aveline. We haven't time to linger, Lark implored. He turned on his heel and made his way toward Aveline, ready to put a hand to her back and push. But before he could, the girl stepped forward of her own accord. Eyes still fixed on the floor, mouth set in a blank line, her mechanical steps were devoid of energy, as though whatever spirit that once lived within had departed and left naught but a shambling corpse. Lark watched the girl for a moment, the wrinkled lines of his face descending in a frown. His eyes glimmered with unspoken pity. The tiny trinkets woven into the braids of his long brown beard clinked like chimes as the tall, broad-chested man resumed his heavy stride. The quiet padding of Aveline's feet followed Lark down the torch-lit corridor. As she moved without thought or purpose to where she was told, Aveline absent-mindedly counted the flickering fires out of the corner of her eye. In a moment, the trio of travelers stood before a tall, wooden door. Framed by an archway of expertly set stone and inlaid with thick iron bars and hinges, the massive portal projected an air of indomitable permanence as though kingdoms could rise and fall within the time it would take this divided wall to fracture or budge. An enormous, shining metal plate was bolted to the face of each door, and upon these were etched two of the most recognized symbols across the continent of Valerius. On the left, 
the interlocking pattern of geometry that was the standard of the king. And on the right, the anvil and hammer that represented the order of the forge. Beside the door stood a young soldier, covered in a suit of dark armor, his chest plate etched with the same anvil and hammer. Over one shoulder was draped a bright red cloak, a symbol of his station as an honor guard. In his hands, the warden gripped a towering, shining poleaxe from which hanged a small gray banner that bore a triumvirate of stylized mountains beneath a light blue sky. When Lark approached, the young soldier straightened his back and raised a hand to his chest in standard greeting. Lark nodded in return. They're still at it? Lark asked. The tone of his question conveyed a total lack of surprise. Yes, sir. It would seem so, sir, the soldier replied. He looked down past Lark to the sad-faced girl waiting quietly behind the older man's legs. Surprised to see a child, the guard scoffed. Who's this, then? She lost? She's Aveline, of House Drummond, Lark growled. The younger man's face drained of color and then flushed with embarrassment. In a second, he was sputtering for breath. I, I, I beg your pardon, sir. I, I didn't know. The soldier grew quiet. Beyond the door, a man and woman traded full-throated attacks in vigorous debate. At mention of the girl, the guard winced and looked again at Aveline. He opened his mouth to speak, but with Lark's eye still on him, thought better of it. Eager to escape his discomfort, the guard reached his gauntlet fist to knock on the door for the combatant's attention but Lark raised a hand in protest. As thick and stubborn as the wood door was, it could not smother the raised voices that argued behind it. We could go in circles like this for years, and that girl will be no closer to a safe and happy home, a young woman shouted, her voice filled with ferocious resolve. There came from the room a loud, hollow slap, as though a book was slammed onto a wooden desk. A young man's voice replied with a sigh of exhaustion. Then we needn't argue any further. I've told you countless times that the responsibility for this calamity is mine and mine alone. It is not up for debate, no matter how loud you protest. Take it up with the council if it will appease your conscience, but I am certain they will honor my request. The matter is closed, Knight. Do not force me to assert my rank. The man explained, his words couched in a dark but certain threat. The woman sighed in her turn and lowered her voice. Do you believe yourself so capable, so skilled? Do you believe fatherhood is but another weapon to master? The woman's words were met with silence, and it was plain the target had taken offense. I'm sorry, I just... You know the peril that lurks even here. I would spare her this life, Roland. It is for those who choose it and being left no choice is not the same as making one. I promised them, Julia. I promised Rainer. I promised Hannah. Roland explained in a careful, deliberate tone. I promised our friends that whatever happened, their daughter would be looked after. That I would allow no harm to befall her. The best way to do so is to equip her with the tools to survive. I will not leave her defenseless in service of comfort. My conscience will not allow it. She was born of warriors. She should live as one. 
I hope only that she does not die as one, Julia said. There was a long silence then, as though the man and woman were watching each other and uncertain how to proceed. Some words were spoken, too low to understand, but their tone was conciliatory and tender. In a moment, a pair of loud footsteps approached the study's massive door from within, and the portal's wooden gate was thrown open. A young woman of 23 or 24 years, and clad in silver armor, strode past the wooden slabs, the angry eyes beneath her furrowed brow reflecting the orange light of the torches nearby. A cascade of black hair snapped back and forth behind her as she shook her head in exasperation. Despite her somber face, the flawless plate that covered her torso, arms, and legs shined warm and bright with hours of polish and battles won unscathed. Long, etched lines of streaking sunlight traced the brilliant contours of the suit that gave one of the most renowned of the five knights her title. The Shining Knight, Julia. She approached the guests waiting in the corridor and stopped. The soldier puffed out his chest. Lark raised a hand in greeting and smiled. Aveline clutched the kitten between her arms, then shuffled close to Lark's leg, and despite her melancholy, concluded the Shining Knight was among the most terrifying people she had ever met. The girl longed then for the company of her gentle mother. Well met, Lark, Julia said, her words reinforced with a hardened tone. The Shining Knight's mouth drew downward in a severe grimace. Lark lowered his hand and with it his grin evaporated. Before he could speak, Julia continued. I suppose you're on his side then? Of course you are. You always are. Where is the girl? I have some words for her. At the mention of her, Aveline sank even deeper within herself. The girl peered carefully around Lark's long robes, up through her tired eyes and messy hair. Without comment, Lark chuckled to himself and turned his burly body to reveal the person in question. Aveline's face flushed red when Lark put a hand to her back and stepped out from between the two women. Julia looked at the young girl with rapt attention then exhaled a long breath and put a gloved hand to her face, as though she were equally embarrassed. When she removed her hand, the knight's anger was gone. Her furious eyes shined now with a torrent of tears that threatened to spill down her cheeks were they forgotten but for a moment. Julia crouched low in front of Aveline and spoke. Aveline, I... <sighs> you look so much like your mother. Listen, I'm not good at this sort of thing, so I'll say what I need to and leave it at that. I knew your parents. I knew them well. Better than most, I'd say. Roland and I, we, we loved them like family. Which means that, well, you don't know us, but it means that we love you like family. If ever you should grow tired of the brute beyond, or be in need of a helping hand, Always be certain that I will help you however I can. Your parents will not have died in vain so long as you live. Julia gazed into Aveline's downcast face, searching for a response, but found none. So instead raised a hand to the kitten's head and brushed the small space between its ears. The animal chirped a sound of approval and purred. 
Rising, Julia glared at Lark. Her eyes were filled again with a gleaming fury. He thinks she's some battle to be won. That the victory will atone for what we did to them. I hope you two know what you're doing. Or so help you, my wrath will be swift. Come veil or void, I will offer no mercy. The Shining Knight hissed. Until next time, old man. Always a pleasure, Julia. Lark replied with a knowing smile. As the Shining Knight departed, Lark looked down at Aveline and nodded toward the open door. The girl started walking, her companion close behind. Together the pair made their way into a sparsely furnished study, lit only with the slanting light of the bright afternoon. Upon every surface rested a scattered chaos of paper. Maps, reports, books, and more littered the great night's study, each of the documents bearing the distinct ink scratchings of a practiced hand. On the wall opposite the study's window, a set of three large bookcases stretched to the ceiling, their shelves filled with even more paper. The man referred to by Julia as a brute leaned back on a massive wood desk, his arms crossed and head bowed in distracted thought. His dark, honest face gave the appearance of a man aged between 25 and 30 years, but who had witnessed in that short time tremendous hardship. His black eyes, focused now on the floor, were warm and inviting, beneath a knit brow marked in places by small scars. In the room's corner, nearest the desk, rested a large sword sheathed in a long scabbard. Like any of her young peers, Aveline already knew it to be Durandal, as it was so often the subject of many of Valerian Child's heroic aspirations. Roland, the Great Knight of Stone, appeared haggard and drained, despite the resplendent glimmer of his armor. Aveline glanced up at the man for a moment, then returned her gaze to her feet. Found her hiding in the baker's cupboard, the little animal, Lark said gently. He put his large hand to Aveline's head and ruffled her hair. A fine cloud of white flour fell to the floor like snow. At this, Roland rose from his desk and walked toward Aveline. As he looked down at the child before him, he seemed uncertain how to proceed. The strategist nodded his head down as if willing Roland to a knee. I see, Roland said. He cleared his throat, then crouched in front of Aveline, as Julia had before. Um, what's, uh, what's this little guy's name? Roland asked. He gestured toward the kitten and offered his most affable smile, but Aveline turned away in protest. Aveline, I... Your parents, uh... <sighs> Roland groaned in dismay. Aveline continued to avert her gaze. Frustrated and uncertain, the knight stepped away and crossed his arms again. Out of his element, Roland looked down at the child as one would a disobedient dog, and spoke with a voice better employed on battlefields. I apologize for the fate that befell your family. They were good soldiers, the Drummonds. Given the circumstances of their demise, we think it best to remain here in the Citadel. As Great Knight of the Order, your protection is my highest priority. I will care for you as your father would have. You're not my father, and you never will be, Aveline growled and screamed at Roland's face. She glared at the Great Knight, her eyes filled with tears and anger. 
As the water fell past the kitten's nose to splash on the floor, the girl stared deep into Roland's eyes, as if assessing an enemy. Before either man could realize what happened, Aveline turned and fled as fast and nimble as the cat she carried. Lark moved to stop her, but the great knight put a hand to his friend's arm and shook his head. The men watched the young girl sprint through the corridor and down the darkened stairwell at its end. No. Let her go. Were I in her position, I would feel the same, Roland said. I failed her parents, Lark, but I will not fail them in this task. I will not fail her. Lark nodded gravely. Julia's right, Roland. A child isn't a battle. That one's scarred, but there's an ember there. You hope to accomplish what you vowed. You put aside the night and stoke the flames. Hours later, and without his armor, Roland found Aveline alone outside on one of the Citadel's western-facing parapets. Legs dangling over the stone wall's edge, the girl looked out to the city of Lucidus and stroked the warm kitten that dozed in her lap. In the distance, the colossal statue of the old king for whom the city was named loomed tall and noble, presiding in silence over the buildings and streets that had expanded through the ages beneath him. Beyond his imposing form, the bustling docks and ships of the port did their business amid an ocean of amber waves, set aflame by the orange orb that dropped with no great urgency behind the horizon. Roland walked slowly up behind Aveline, afraid to startle the girl from her silent ruminations after their previous encounter. In his hands, he carried two items, a sheaf of ring-bound paper sheets and a thick, folded piece of blue fabric. After a moment of watching the back of Aveline's sunlit head and gathering his courage, Roland climbed over the small wall and sat beside his young charge. A nearby banner swayed and snapped on the light breeze. I've heard that you enjoy drawing. I've brought you some paper, Roland said. Aveline ignored him and continued staring with half-closed eyes toward the sun. For a long time, neither party spoke a word, though the knight watched the orphan out of the corner of his eye, appraising her, trying desperately to determine an approach. He looked to the girl, then away, then back at her again. The sun continued its slow descent, half of its enormous, round form sunk beneath the glassy waves. Finally, Roland abandoned pretense and spoke in low, honest tones. I used to sneak out here myself, in my early days. When I was young and new to the Order, I was too stubborn, too unbending in my will and desire to be the best. Or should I say better? I needed to be better. <sighs> it is a beautiful spot, Roland concluded awkwardly. He shook his head, frustrated by the irrelevance of his opening volley. The knight exhaled a deep breath, then raised his eyes to the light-streaked sky above. He thought of Julia and started over again. When I first arrived in Lucidus, I too was alone. Not like you, but... My life until then was behind me, abandoned in the east to the mines and poverty. 
I was set then on proving myself and achieving great things. In time, I found my place and pursued my purpose. But no matter where I went or what I did, I never forgot who I was or where I came from. Roland shook his head again, still uncertain of his words. Aveline only stroked the fuzzy head of her kitten. Roland thought for a moment and then asked, Do you know why we're called the Order of the Forge? Aveline said nothing in reply. Roland placed the folded blue cloth on the stone and on top set the small sheaf of paper. The girl glanced toward the paper and cloth, and the knight allowed himself a small grin. Many centuries ago, one of the most heroic warriors of the time would often say to his followers, The heart is a forge. What he meant was that every human being carries a fire within them, a drive to live, to be free, to light up the night and leave their mark. Some have tiny flames like candles. Others bear torrents of fire. But more important than the flame itself is how one employs it. A forge can produce works of great magnificence given the right materials, skill, and time. Or it can birth some wretched, brittle thing that cracks and breaks at the slightest touch. It's up to each of us to choose good metal over bad, the future worth over the fleeting now. Roland looked again at Aveline. Though she did not return the great knight's gaze, it was obvious the girl was listening. She lifted the paper from its seat to her left, touched it with her fingertips, then set it down on the bare stone to her right. Roland smiled more broadly and continued. Apart, your parents were formidable individuals, each the bearer of a generous fire. But together, together they were an inferno that warmed all those honored to know them. Raynor and Hannah were my closest allies, my most beloved friends. Their passing is difficult, but not without a bit of hope. You are their greatest work, Eveline, and the world cannot break you. Not unless you let it. And if you're anything like your parents, this world's got its work cut out for it. I ask only for the chance to help you on your journey. At these words, Aveline stopped stroking the kitten, who peered up at her with a quizzical look in its sleep-laden eyes. Roland lifted the carefully folded square of thick blue fabric from the stone wall between himself and the girl and held it out to her. For the first time since his arrival, Aveline turned to Roland and stared quietly at his face, eyes fixed on one feature and then the other. She found a warm visage gazing back, the knight's sad eyes framed by close-cropped hair and a gentle smile. The girl opened her mouth, but no words escaped from between her thin lips. I believe this belonged to your mother. My men salvaged it from the house before. Well, they found it in a trunk with a collection of odds and ends. I am certain she would have wanted you to have it, Roland explained. He looked down at the blue fabric in which silver threads appeared to have been woven. Aveline held out a hand to touch the cloth. Upon contact, her light green eyes became two pools of tears. When the girl blinked, water fell in tiny streams down her cheeks. She grabbed the heavy square of fabric from Roland and held it close to her chest. 
Evelyn closed her eyes and pushed her face into the relic of her short past. Beneath her nose, the azure fabric smelled of smoke, but the girl did not care. It mattered only that there was something by which to remember her and him and the life they lived together for a time. Aveline lifted her chin from among the folds, and as she resumed stroking the kitten's head, a shadow of a smile passed over the girl's solemn face. His name is Ash, Aveline muttered. At the mention of his name, Ash purred in her lap, then stretched out a paw to test the blue fabric with its tiny claws. The great knight beamed with pride and satisfaction at the words. Fitting, Roland smirked as he tried to regain his composure. On the horizon, the last light of day slipped beneath the edge of the ocean, and when it did, the knight released a short breath of relief. He moved to stand, but noticed Aveline shiver. Without a word, Roland lifted the blue fabric from his young charge's grip. Before she could protest, he unfolded it to reveal a thick blue cloak, its edges adorned with silver threads sewn in an intricate pattern of leaves and twisting lines that glittered in the twilight. Roland draped the mantle over Aveline, then gripped her trembling shoulders tight beneath the fabric. In a moment, the girl's shivering subsided. Roland grinned again at this trivial triumph. Welcome to the Order. Take the evening to yourself. Draw a portrait of them. But I expect you in the training yard come morning, the Great Knight said. He turned from Aveline and started back inside, eager to escape the cold evening clouds that drifted now toward the city and consumed the stars in their paths. After but a dozen paces, a pair of small footsteps tread softly on the stone behind Roland. Kitten in tow, paper clutched close, the orphan Aveline stepped from death into life, from past into present, and followed the great night with purpose into her new home. A Night Adrift is written, produced, and narrated by Devin McKernan. Music provided courtesy of Kai Engel, Chris Zabriskie, and special guest musician Christopher Postill, creator and host of the Sounds Like an Earful podcast. Check it out at www.soundslikeanearful.com. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Visit anightadrift.com to join Aveline's journey Follow us on social media and be notified of new episodes, art, and stories. Thanks for listening.